if you want to be a guest, please email me. I have received so many emails of people that are excited and passionate about being a guest on this show. The process is time consuming. I go through about an hour long pre-interview and I determine where you'd fit best in the season. So if you've gone through the pre-interview process or we've messaged back and forth via email and haven't gone through the pre-interview process, I'm not ignoring you, I, I promise. There's just a lot on my plate and I am one person. That being said, I look forward to talking with every one of you that is interested in being on this podcast. Y'all are amazing. And I honestly could not do this podcast without the support that I receive from each one of you. So thank you so much. It was a lot when it came down to finally after literal days of what I'm going to just kind of call litigations late at night. I'm still working full time. I'm in college, all of this. And finally, it came down to, are you going to actually go and do this conversion therapy or are you not? And I was like, I'm not doing it. And so they were like, my my dad said, then I'm going to take the family out tomorrow afternoon. You've got so many hours to get your things out of the house. One thing that my father said that I will never forgive him for was he asked me, in the meantime, can I trust you here? And I said, I'm not going to steal anything if that's what you're asking me. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, you have a little brother. Can I trust you with him? Oh my gosh. And I told him, I said, you know what? The conversation's done now. I'll have my things out by a certain time tomorrow. We're done with this. Welcome to Focus on Your Own Family podcast. Fundamental evangelicalism impacted a generation. We survived physical, psychological, mental, and spiritual abuse. We survived the Focus on the Family movement, and we want to talk about it. Trigger warning. Guests will be sharing stories of domestic violence, child abuse, and animal abuse. Please listen with caution. Thank you. Please welcome Topher. Here is his story. Hey. Hey, Topher. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. Okay. I am interviewing Topher. And what are your pronouns? He, him, they, them. Okay. And Topher is the podcast host of True Crimes Against Wine. I'm so excited for you to talk about this before we get into everything. Tell me about it. What is this about? So basically, I am a by trade a sommelier, and I've got a friend who's really into pop culture. And a few years ago, we were just like having fun at the pool together and thought it would be really funny to do a podcast about wines that were made or endorsed by celebrities because they can't possibly be that great, right? And we started doing it together and it's fantastic. I lead you through a tasting at the beginning. She leads you through all the pop culture knowledge about the celebrity that's tied to this wine. We drink the entire bottle, so we are a bit squiffy by the end of it. It is in real time. And it's just really fun. It's a fun kind of comedy meets educational purposes if you're interested in beverages and things like that. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, couple questions. Are you doing this in person with her? Yes. Okay, you're sharing a bottle. In the studio together, pouring back and forth. And then... What celebrity has been your favorite? And then which one has been your least favorite? 
So my favorite so far would probably have to be Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame. Yeah. He's got a winery called Two Paddocks out in New Zealand, and it is amazing Pinot Noir. Just absolutely wonderful. And it's always because I don't, I'm really bad with celebrity pop culture. I don't know anything about celebrities at all. My co-host Rachel actually is the one who handles all of that stuff. And I'm always worried when it's somebody that I admire as a movie star, because Jurassic Park's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. The score is still... Oh, like, amazing. As soon as you hear Special those... Effects, horns, everything. Yeah. yeah. You just, it's a great movie. Yep. You're always like a little bit afraid to meet your heroes. Mm -hmm. And it turns out he's a really fantastic human being as well and goofy and quirky and fun. That was a really great episode for us, a really great wine. My least favorite so far, probably the wine that Madonna's dad makes that comes out of Michigan. <laughs> it's not great. Oh, gosh. Okay. What do you think of Snoop Dogg, The True Crimes? Okay, so we've done that. It is, there's several different types that he does. There's a, mm -hmm. a red blend. There's a rosé. I was not a fan of the rosé. It's a little too Jolly Rancher for me, but I appreciate the style of it. If that's mm -hmm. your thing, I can get it. I'd say he's like a solid middle of the road. If you need a wine to bring to a barbecue, it's going to be a crowd pleaser. I've had some of the red blend. When I do go for wine, and we were just talking about this prior to this, but I my body just does not tolerate wine. Back when I could have a little bit, I would go for the red blends all the time. They were my favorites. <laughs> Gosh, there's one that I think it's like Monte Montepuccio de Abruggio or something. Yeah, Montepucciano de Abruggio. Yeah. Yep. That I think is my husband's favorite. It's delicious, very smooth. Gorgeous um, Italian wine. Yeah. That is one that he loves. We always do that for Christmas or something like that. Or just if we want to, again, he ends up drinking it and I end up watching him. That's a great wine, especially because it's there's so many different tiers in terms of your price point. And all of them are, because it's an import, all of them are really great. So even if you're not spending a bunch of money mm -hmm. on a bottle of wine, you know it's going to be a good quality bottle. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the proponents, like I, whenever I tell people I'm a sommelier, I always cringe a little bit because there's so much pretension surrounding mm -hmm. that. But I'm definitely a huge proponent of you don't have to spend a lot of money to have a really good bottle of wine. And I know you are breaking into the computer, computer science, right? Yes. Yep. I've uh -huh. been in the restaurant industry since college because that's what people do when they're yep. in college. And yep. I got sucked into the fine dining world and had some really great places that I worked for that invested in my wine education, which is something that I've always been really interested in. And now I'm trying to find a way to marry tech with my love of wine. We'll see what happens. I met you a number of months ago, and I met you because I'm working on a book that talks about the trauma that we have all gone through. Those who were born and raised in the evangelical movement did youth camp, the trauma that we endured at youth camp. And it was when I was talking to you and I got a little bit of your background and you said something. I know that I have that. I have that recorded and I'd like to, I'm going to go back and watch it because it was that moment that I just it's like time stood still. 
and that memory came back. And I think that was the catalyst to a lot of memories starting to unsaw and resurface. Sorry, or you're welcome. I'm not really sure. I think it's a, I'm thankful for it, honestly. Yeah. Because there are giant gaps in my memory. And I just thought that I had a bad memory, but it didn't make sense that I would remember some things from before six years old. Right. Very clearly, but I don't recall from six to about 13. 12, 13. Yeah. And that, that didn't make sense to me. And now it's starting to make more sense as more memories come back. So when I thought about doing this podcast, you were the person that I wanted to be my first guest because oh, wow. you were instrumental in just this evolution of how my, where my content went. I just, I appreciate your transparency and your honesty. And we both survived the evangelical Mm. movement, and we both survive Dobson, but you were given the ultimatum of conversion therapy. And I know you're going to talk about that, but that's something that not a lot of people know about. And if they know about it, they don't like to acknowledge that it exists. They're just like, oh, that that's just that's just a thing. It's just like a weekend trip. But they don't understand how horrible and the horrific practices that are still happening today. This isn't a, a relic of the 90s or the early 2000s, this is happening right now as we speak. And it is because of James Dobson, and I call him the architect of conversion therapy. And I think that I feel like that's an appropriate name. So if you would give a little bit of background, where did you grow up? What was life like for Topher? So just to give a little context into my upbringing, I am a PK, I'm a pastor's kid. My father was originally a Southern Baptist minister in the South, in the Bible Belt. And I went to a private Christian school up until fourth grade. And at that point, he discovered Grace Community Church out in California through a friend and the pastor, John MacArthur, who's a reformed Calvinist preacher and became like a total disciple of him, moved our family out to California, went to seminary there. He'd already been to seminary in the South as well. He had also, previous to going to seminary, gotten degrees in psychology, which is ironic because he decided after going to seminary that psychology was just like the devil. And it's funny because I'm sure we'll get into this later, but churches 100% use psychology but just in a very perverted, manipulative way rather than, yeah, we'll get into that. So spent time out in California at John MacArthur's church. Um, I have two siblings younger than me, much younger than me. At that point became homeschooled. And at the point where I came out as gay, was basically given that ultimatum of you either leave our family or you go to gay conversion therapy. And I don't know a whole lot about Dobson and his involvement with gay therapy or gay conversion therapy. I just know what my father was talking about doing. And that was enough for me to be like, there's absolutely no way. This can't happen. And at that point, growing up and trying so hard to have a normal 
upbringing, trying so hard to have a relationship with God, it was the first time that I had acknowledged out loud what was happening inside of me. And I genuinely thought in in those moments of coming out to my parents, and this was over the course of about a week, having hours long conversations with them. I genuinely thought in those moments, okay, I've been taught that being gay is a sin on one hand, and it's an active sin. Mm -hmm. I also am recognizing at this point that I was born this way and there's nothing that I can do to change this. So my 21-year-old brain was basically saying, all right, that means that God cannot love me because this is an impossible situation. Of course, I'm in a much different place now in my deconstruction and research and all of that. But just because of what I've been brought up with, that's kind of that was the natural trajectory of everything. I just can't imagine what you went through and what so many others went through being raised in this abusive culture. What are your earliest memories of, talk to me about how discipline was, Because, and what are your earliest memories of, do you remember seeing Dare to Discipline or The Strong-Willed Child or like what kind yeah. of vernacular was used? In your home. We had both of those books in my home growing up. And what's interesting is that beyond the age of, I would say, probably five, my parents stopped spanking me because I think my father realized I was very vulnerable to emotional manipulation. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I was more scared of getting in trouble than I was of the actual punishment that would come. Yeah. And my parents, this is a really... Am I allowed to curse on this? Go for it. Yep. This is a really fucked up thing to say. Totally. But my mother has actually said to my two younger siblings, if Topher had not been the first child, there would not have been a Topher because I gave them unrealistic expectations about what it was to raise a child. I was the good kid. I was the one that made things easy on them. Isn't that so gross to think about as the younger kids? To be like, oh, I made your life that miserable. Okay. But I was the quiet one. I was the people pleaser. And so they realized very quickly that there were different options. I was not the strong-willed child at that point. That Mm -hmm. came later. That came much later. And it's something that I still struggle with when it comes to my parents as well, even though we're no contact now. Like, I still deal with the people pleasing and things like that. But I saw a lot of it when it came to my two younger siblings. And it's really tragic because one of them was assigned female at birth and is non-binary now. And they were very much the like born talking, born questioning. There's a very funny story that was told once where at the age of three, we were in the seminary library where my dad was getting his degree. And my mom took my sibling to the bathroom and they were just talk and my mom in a moment of frustration was like oh my gosh do you ever just stop talking and my siblings at three years old saying but this is the way god made me don't you want me to be the way god made me they were that kind of child yeah (laughs) and then my little brother i am convinced it was never diagnosed because my parents don't believe in these things but i'm convinced grew up with severe adhd or ad i'm not really sure Mm. about the difference between the two and was constantly being disciplined over behavioral issues because of that, that weren't behavioral issues. 
And I feel so bad for him. Yeah. Because I watched this happening and it wasn't him being defiant. It was him literally just not being able to focus. And my mom being a homeschool mom, not knowing anything about that and not believing in it, which is even worse. Yeah. Because they're not doing any research about it. And it's either in Dare to Discipline or the original. Because so Dobson wrote The Strong Willed Child and then he wrote. It's either the Strong-Willed Child Revised or the new Strong-Willed Child. And that came out late 90s, early 2000s, I think. That had a lot of his problematic discipline. I believe it's scrubbed from it, even though he still wholeheartedly... I I actually just saw a YouTube interview with him. Oh, I want to say it was a year ago. And he's just mocking parents that talk about how spanking is bad. And he is still wholeheartedly a proponent for using a switch or a spoon or something like that. So he's he hasn't changed. Yeah, same. And anyway, in one of those books, it does talk about the ADHD and how he really didn't believe that it was a thing. And he just believed that it was, if it was a thing, it was linked to, I believe the words, it's, this can't be a direct quote because I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that he linked it to, quote, mental retardation. Oh, and God. just, it's awful. He really vilified kids with ADHD and greenlit abuse on them. Oh, you just have to be tougher on them. That's And that is where my parents went. I don't think yeah. that they necessarily would have said, I don't, I can't speak for them because I don't know. I don't think, that, but I don't think they would have said that it was mental retard- retardation. For them, it was outright defiance. You're not trying yep. hard enough. You are rebelling yeah. against what we're trying to teach you, what we're trying to make you do right now. Because for my parents, compliance, hearty compliance was key. There's a certain phrase, it's it's something about like willful obedience or like glad obedience, oh, instant obedience. I know what you're talking something about. Something like that. That was yeah. very much a part of our upbringing was yep. it doesn't, we don't, it's not ours to question. It's not ours to. Blind obedience? Yeah. Blind, blind obedience, 100% across the board. I'm going to go ahead and just make the disclaimer. I don't have kids. I don't mm-hmm. plan on having kids. So I'm not speaking from personal experience as a parent, mm-hmm. but I am speaking from experience as a child, as a former yep. child. Yeah. And I've got a lot of friends who are wonderful parents and are into gentle parenting. And it's been really interesting to watch that because that would have been something that even just a few years ago, I would have been like, gentle parenting, come on. But gentle parenting, it's not allowing your kids to run all over you. It's literally just recognizing that they're human beings. Yep. It's and it's, it's insane to me that these are the extremes we're talking about right now. <laughs> these, This is what we're arguing over, is literally yeah. whether or not to acknowledge that your children are human beings who have genuine feelings that they don't know how to express how to process. And one of the best things that somebody ever told me as I was talking about gentle parenting with them that I've used on other people that don't believe in gentle parenting is when it comes to spanking, is your child 
old enough for you to be able to reason with them about the behavior that they're exhibiting right now? If the answer is no, then there's no reason to hit them. If the answer is yes, then there is no reason to hit them. Yeah. yeah. I, I think about, and we'll get into very specific forms of discipline that you and I experience, yeah. but I think about it this way, and it's against the law to hit a dog. Yeah. It's against the law to, as soon as somebody turns 18, that's assault. Yep. So why is it okay to hit a one-year-old? Why is it okay to hit a two-year-old? Yeah. Because they they did something that a one-year-old does. They did something that a two-year-old does. Like, that should be the harshest felony. That That should be reserved for, I don't know, there should be a punishment reserved for the monsters that do that. It's just not, it's not okay. And they make the argument, though, that swatting a hand is not hitting. Swatting a bottom real quick is not hitting. This is my own analogy. Maybe there's flaws in it, but this is something that I've thought about a lot. If your grandmother with Alzheimer's goes to do something and you swat her hand or you swat her bottom, is that acceptable? Right. That's still hitting. Yeah. Just hit that person. And it's so, it takes away their dignity. It dehumanizes them. It puts them to the level of, being a dog or an animal. Yeah. What brings me to, I was reading Dare to Discipline and you and I had- I've never been able to do it. it. Don't do it. I lasted two pages. I'm going to be honest with you. And I think that the powers that would be, whether it's the universe, God, however you view that, I think that I was just led to those two pages because it's, there's a lot of pages in that book. I could have gone to anything and I just, I found a PDF online and I just scrolled through a little bit and I, wherever it stopped scrolling, I just glanced over a paragraph and the words jumped out at me. And the first paragraph that I read, first couple, talking about how he had a dog and this dog was trying to, the dog would jump on, the dog would act like a dog, you know, how dogs act. You know where this is going because I can see your body. Yeah. And he talked about how he was getting so sick and tired of this dog believing that it was Alpha and not seeing him as Alpha. So he took a belt and we can guess where that went. And he said, the dog didn't understand the first time. So the next time I I was harsher. And then eventually the dog started to get it. And then it dawned on me, that's what kids are like. Oh, no. And it's then he goes into... First of all, I'm very upset about the beating of the dog. I know. So this is all this is all in just two pages. That's oh why I couldn't, even, I couldn't even go with the... It would take a lot for me to read the rest of the book. But this is the book that I know my parents read. Because yeah, the, the next part is talking about how... And when your child does this, your child needs to know that you're alpha. and there's some also like demeaning derogatory comment or about women and how they're they're less, but they're he's not using those specific words, but the way he paints his wife talks about 
how it's obvious she's the lesser and he's alpha, but he doesn't. Because she's the helpmate. Exactly. And he goes into this and he talks about how you need to grab, grab anything, grab a switch, a belt, a spoon, and those will be your objects for, that's how you can discipline your child. That's how you can spank your child. Now, the problem comes when he starts talking about there is two pressure points on the back of the neck. And when you squeeze those really hard, it causes people to fall to their knees. You should do that when you're out in public. You should do that when you're at home and you don't have access to a belt, a a spoon, or a switch. And as soon as you do that, they're going to remember, oh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that again because dad will do this or because that not even dad will do this because that's my consequence for doing that and putting the onus on the child. My job is to behave in such a way to prevent my parents from abusing me. Yeah. Anyway, so he says that. And then, of course, it was the 70s, early 80s. And he's, you can even do this on kids that aren't yours in public. I'm not kidding you, Topher. I'm not kidding you. He's still, when you're in the grocery line and there's a kid in front of you who is acting out and obviously not listening to their parents, you can do this. I'm like, I hope that he tries that. I hope he does because that I want to see that man in prison so bad. Can we just talk about, though, for a second, how instantly his argument crumbles in this argument? Because if you do that to another person's child, you are assaulting someone else's child. So why would it not be the same for your own child? Yes. Also, you can't do that. We're not property. We're not the property of you. You can't. You're our custodian. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you to those that have reached out with your support, whether you have left a review. If you haven't left a review, this would be a really, really good time to leave a review. Read every single one of them. So thank you. And for those that are subscribers to my Patreon, thank you. It means so much. One of the new features that I am adding for my paid Patreon subscribers is the chat feature. And this is just a way that we can all continue this conversation that we're having in the podcast. And if you are not a paid subscriber, unfortunately, the chat feature won't be available to you, but you can be a free subscriber and you'll just get the weekly newsletters. Y'all are amazing. And I honestly could not do this podcast without the support that I receive from each one of you. So thank you so much. Yes, you're also not allowed to, by law, you have to practice gentle parenting if you are a foster parent. So you cannot, by law, touch your foster child. Like, you cannot use any type of physical punishment on a foster child, but you can on your own. I had a friend that would use physical punishment on her own children, but wasn't allowed to touch her foster children. I'm like, what is the difference? What is the difference? What is the difference? There isn't any. It's just we have, because of people like this and the pearls and 
Ezo and Gothard and specific male evangelical leaders, there's something that like we dissociate or detach. Like we say, those are okay kids to hit because they came from me. Those are not okay kids to hit because they're not mine. Because I don't own them. Because I don't own them. Exactly. We have stripped children of autonomy. And there was also a legal loophole that they taught at Grace Community Church out in California, John MacArthur's church. And that's where my parents really got into the spanking spoon because you use certain implements that don't leave bruises because it's illegal to leave a bruise. Yep. For more than a, it's a mark for more than a certain, at least in my state. Yeah. And y'all are, this is an extreme example, but to me, it's the same thing. It's, to me, it's anybody who's towing that kind of example is the same kind of abuser as someone who's, I waited until the person was 18. Yep. To actually yes. have sex with them. You're still a pedophile. Yes. You just. Yes. <laughs> you yes. just wanted to. Yep. Yeah. And that is, thank you. Thank you, purity culture. Because I, I could go into the fact that there are youth leaders that are in their 20s that are actively grooming. dating and grooming girls that are 16 and 17. And they wait till they're 18 to get engaged. Yeah. And then, oh, we just, it was a quick thing. We just fell in love. No, it you've been so grooming organic. that person. Yeah, you've been grooming that person since they were 15 or 16, please. That's enough. Yeah. But I want to walk back. And when yep. I read that about there's pressure points on the back of the neck, that is what you and I had talked about. That your dad squeezed the back of your neck. And you can go, if you feel comfortable, you can go more into detail about that. But as soon, so that was the thing that huge flashback for me and Mm -hmm. watching my siblings go through that. And then reading that there was an anger that I, like, it was like a, it was a righteous indignation, like a righteous anger. And I know that's an evangelical word only reserved for Jesus, but whatever. I think that we are allowed to have as much righteous anger as we Absolutely. want to at this point. Yeah. We can have blind <laughs> rage. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I Honestly. <laughs> this anger that I felt on behalf of my inner child, but also on behalf of the manipulation, like on a much larger, grander scale, it's the slow psychology that goes into it. This is a long game. This isn't a short yes. game. This is a long game. This was something to silence us and to whip us into shape, if you will, to take away our power, to take away our voice, and to take away our agency so that we will be an army for the Lord and do exactly what leaders want us to do. And I saw all of that just in that moment. I was so angry. When I say that he designed his discipline, he wrote his books around the concept that kids are like animals they're like dogs how did you see that play out in your world wow i saw it play out very literally i'm writing notes like did you know john MacArthur? <laughs> i did yeah oh i hate reform theology it's I, it's just the deep dark side of the evangelical movement like mm. recovering from reform theology because it's one thing to try to recover from what is it um, what was john MacArthur's church like That's such a loaded question. I was a child. I was there from 10 to 13, ages 10 to 13. 
important in so many ways. It was like a warm hug at the time. It was full of people who were loving and just wonderful. And it really wasn't until adulthood, late teens to adulthood, that I started to understand what was happening behind the scenes. Also during that time, my father was having me go with him to classes in his seminary. And so I was sitting in on things. So I learned all about their version of hermeneutics and set it on language classes, all sorts of different things, which at the time I thought, what a wonderful opportunity for me mm -hmm. as this kid. And I guess it was because it did help form a lot of things. But man, you want to talk about some harmful theologies. Yeah. It, that place is, it's a cancer. It's an absolute cancer. And it's really sad because I don't think that people understand. You, mm -hmm. you look at something like Joel Osteen, and it's pretty apparent that things are bad. He's mm -hmm. sucking people for money. John MacArthur is a much more, I don't know what the word is. It's a lot harder to tell that's what's happening at his place. He's smarter about it. I almost wonder if at one point he actually was a genuine follower of Christ who just lost his way. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. The reform theology is difficult to recover from. Just this idea that we are nothing. We are yeah. terrible. And every day we wake up terrible. It's not a being saved doesn't help us we have to actively re-save ourselves every single day. And oh, they would but never for the say grace. that, but that is what comes yes. Yeah. Yes. But there's also the juxtaposition of, yes, we are worms before God, but also we're better than everybody else because yes. everybody else has it wrong. Yep. Yep. Yes. I relate to that so much. I it has taken me a long time just to be able to trust people on the outside of this cult because I was brought up with the idea that everybody on the outside wanted to kill me because they hated Christians that much. That And they were all sinful. Oh. If you leave, you backslide and you will get into drugs and you will become a prostitute and you like all these things, mm -hmm. right? And I'm using their vernacular because I know it's... I I know it's sex worker, but it's like their vernacular was, you'll become a prostitute. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But also when I say we're better than everybody else, I even mean other Christians. Yes, there it is. Because Catholics aren't Christians. Assembly of God are idol worshipers. Yeah. Honestly, like I had a, a near visceral reaction when you talked about Assembly of God earlier in this, just out of like muscle memory. That's how I feel with any mainline denomination. When somebody says that they were raised Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopalian, I'm like, you guys aren't Christian. Right. It's an immediate response. Oh, no. You got it wrong. You don't do the gifts. If you don't do the gifts of the Spirit, can you really call yourself a Christian? I remember hearing, I can still hear my mom's voice in my head talking about Oh, they're Lutheran. So, you know. Christian. You know how they, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do they really know Jesus? Yeah. 
yeah, that I I get that. And then it was like that with other it was like that with other denominations. Really, I was raised in a non-denominational church, but it had a heavy Baptist Assemblies of God influence. Not it's weird because I can see like the pepper the peppering of independent fundamentalist Baptist. Mm-hmm. However, people did raise their hands in worship, but there were it's like they cherry picked from the most cultish of denominations and that was our non-denominational church that's how that is exactly how grace community church is because it's non-denominational as well but the reason for that is that they don't want to be associated with any specific denomination they don't want the accountability but they also don't want to have to ascribe to fully what that denomination does which honestly i can respect the spirit behind that if a church wants to be non-denominational, I think that's actually great because you're not ascribing to a certain dogma. It's just mm-hmm. like being put on you. They're like, no, we want to be able to interpret the Bible. Yeah. And that's it. I get that. They took it to a whole other level. We were treated like animals when it came to discipline. I think I had told you in one of our initial conversations that the earliest that I remember of being abused by him was him doing that to my neck, but dragging me up the stairs doing that and then combing my hair so hard that my scalp bled. Another thing that he would do to me and also my other siblings was at one point it was my job to clean our bathroom, the bathroom that I shared with my siblings who were again, much younger than me. And then when I left home, it became their job. And if we didn't get it clean to his standards, he would grab the backs of our necks, do that pinch, yeah, and shove our faces into the toilet and berate us about what ungrateful children we were, how we didn't care about anybody but ourselves. It was awful. My dad's thing for apologies when my mom would actually bring him in. I remember this very vividly. The very first time he ever choked me out as a teenager. And the reason behind this, by the way, just so we're clear, and I'm somebody who's very willing to say if I did something wrong. Yeah. Not to toot my own horn, but I am very willing to say, oh, I didn't handle this situation correctly or whatever. Yeah. The reason behind this that my father said was, I thought you were about to roll your eyes at me. And that was the cause for him to shove me up into a wall and choke me out. And I was brought down about an hour later. And his apology was, your mother says that I went too far with this. So if that's the case, then I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Which at that point, he looks at me expectantly. I have to say, I forgive you. And then he goes, okay, now that you've forgiven me, this sin is covered. And that means that we don't ever talk about this again, which is him covering his own ass. And that was how the abuse was perpetuated. Yeah. Yep. Because what is it? As far as the East is from the West, so have your sins been forgiven or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right? Is that the scripture? Been a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wasn't there a, you had mentioned something about chains. Yeah. So when I was 13, he also 
wrapped me in chains and made me go up and down a hill to show me what the, as an analogy for sexual sin, the chains of sexual sin. Yeah. Gosh. He had a lot of issues. Yeah. Still does. Uh Uh-huh. They're not my problem anymore because we're no Uh contracts. No, they're (laughs) not your problem. I have a lot of memories of tiptoeing around my dad, being hypervigilant of his of the atmosphere of the mood. Yes. And knowing that I needed to stay away. There was something like you could just feel it. And it's like the barometric pressure yes. in the room changes. Yeah. Like when you, you can just, sense that a storm is coming. Yep. Yeah. You just know it. Yep. And I really didn't think that it was abusive because the stories of abuse that I was told were parents that just irrationally hit their children or beat their children. Now, I, on the other hand, yeah, exactly, with the quotes. Now, I had deserved it because I was sinning. I was sinning against God and I was sinning against my parents. And my parents love me, right? This hurts me more than it hurts you. And only parents, I remember my mom and dad saying this so many times, only parents that love their children discipline their children. Your friends whose parents, they don't, dis- they don't love their kids. Right. Your friends have parents that don't love them. We love you more Spirit than your... Spoiled yep. child. Yep. So I never would have thought to advocate for myself. Right. To go to somebody and say, hey, this is, this is what's happening in my home. I never would have in a million years assumed that anything like that was wrong. So that's such an important thing to bring up because that's exactly the case for Mm -hmm. me. Like, for instance, the example that I gave about the toilet. I didn't know that that was abuse until literally maybe seven years ago when I told that story at a dinner party and everyone just got quiet. Everybody's talking about, oh, uh, my parents were so harsh with me. My parents were so harsh with me. And I'm like, (laughs) I knew. And everybody's just like, dude. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) But the added layer is that it wouldn't have mattered if in that moment I had known that was abusive because who am I going to go to? My father isolated us by making, he was the pastor. So he was the spiritual head of my home, first of all, as my father. And that's mm-hmm. what we're taught in Reformed yep. Theology. He's also my spiritual head in my church. And I'm homeschooled. So he's my principal. There's nowhere for me to go. Yep. Anywhere that I go, it's going to come back to him. So there was no escape. There was nothing yeah. that could have happened. When you mentioned that you told that story at a dinner party, I have had to learn how to assimilate life outside of the evangelical movement because our trauma stories were our triumph. Oh, that's just your testimony. God is so good. He allowed you to go through stuff. And we would just share our abuse stories or our terrible things that had happened just so candidly. I don't even know this person, but they're asking me how my relationship or my walk with God is. And so what do you have to do? You have to give them a testimony. And right. You overshare everything and then you dissociate when somebody's oversharing with you. You're like, oh, God is so good. 
And then there's a form, there's like the, a level of jealousy. If somebody else has a worse past than you, <laughs> you're like, why didn't I get into drugs? <laughs> right. I could have. If only. God would have used me more. But I say that because I had that moment just this year when we were at my daughter's dance recital in the winter. And somebody asked, oh, who is here tonight? Oh, was it just you and your husband or are your parents like who came? Because everybody else has their their parents, grandparents, all of that. I said, oh, no, it's just me, my husband and kids. Oh, okay. And then I pause and I go, that's because my parents disowned me because I left the evangelical movement. And and I was like, I just had this intense self-awareness come over me. And I'm like, oh, so we don't do that. We don't do that anymore, do we? we? Okay, cool. Because like, (laughs) you all just wanted to shoot the breeze and maybe talk about where we might be going on vacation in the next five months or, I don't know, politics or something intellectual. I actually didn't want my trauma story. That's great for us. So I'm going to slink away now. But that's... That That happens to be so often. (laughs) We're conditioned to share like... the. Like we're all rocking around like shock jocks, like sharing the worst stories that have happened to us. And then we're realizing, oh, like, that's not a thing. Like that I feel like any time my husband or someone else around me makes a comment about you're so well adjusted for the fact that all this stuff has happened to you. Yes. My inner self just goes, hold my beer. I will. Yep. I will absolutely sabotage that entire thing. Right. And then let's not even get on the fact that so much of us still deal with the fact that we have self-sabotaged for so long because being in an abusive environment feels safe to us because that's how we grew up. So we're constantly trying to put ourselves back into an abusive, repressive environment. Oh, man. My therapist had a field day with that with me a few months ago where we were talking about my crippling anxiety. And she was like, yeah, you tend to have anxiety in moments when things are going well because you're not used to things going well. You're yep. used to being on high alert yep. all the time. You're always in fight or flight. So the moment when things are not fight or flight, this is an unfamiliar environment to you. So it must be fight yeah. or flight. Yep. So what was purity culture like for you? There was a stress thing involved because I wasn't experiencing the things that were the reason behind purity culture, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And being the pastor's son, especially, I felt like there was just this ticking time bomb to where my cover was going to be blown. At a certain point, I'm going to have to start dating girls. And when I did, I was the dream of all of the church moms. And the reason was because you're right. I'm not going to touch your topic. But it was stressful because if this relationship continues at a certain point, I'm going to have to, and I don't want to. Love women. Think y'all are aesthetically beautiful. Not my thing though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that brings us to where we started. Talk to me about, first off, I, I want to bring us back, actually. So you're 21 years old. You mm-hmm. come out, you're given an ultimatum. I think this is so important 
that I establish this like right now, that those that are born and raised inside of the evangelical movement, we all believe that we are under the umbrella of protection. That is a very big deal. It wasn't just the IBLP and Bill Gothard. It was everywhere. So for me, it was umbrella of protection or my father's covering or my pastor's covering, depending on the denomination or just what your parents, it was interchangeable is what I'm saying. And that being said, when you are 21, you're still treated as if you're 15, but you have the responsibilities of a 21-year-old. You're looked at as a man, but just a man of God that can be used by your parents. Studies have shown that people do not mature emotionally inside of the evangelical movement because of all this spiritual bypassing. We do not mature past 13 to 15 emotionally. So you're 21 years old, but emotionally you are still completely dependent on your parents for their validation, their social support. I was still Um, living at home as well. There you go. Yeah. So because the idea is that we stayed completely and utterly dependent on God, which, by the way, is not something we interpret through our own lens. It is interpreted through the lens of our parents or the lens of our pastor, which Mm -hmm. keeps us completely dependent on this subculture of society, if you will. So at 21, some people might hear this and think, he's 21. Who cares? He can do what he wants. No, 21 in the evangelical movement doesn't mean anything. And my parents were also very financially abusive Mm. towards me during that time as well. They controlled everything, everything. I had to negotiate at that point to get this ancient truck that didn't have a radio or air conditioning when I left my family to be like, can I just have this so I can get back and forth to work? My parents, they weren't financially abusive in, in that respect. What they would do is tell me how much everything costs that I need. They would remind me, oh, yeah, you need new shoes. Guess how much they cost? You need that. So um, and they would tell me, yeah, they would tell me like all about their financial status. How stressful Um, for someone growing up. Like It's awful. We would get as kids an announcement before Christmas. Things are really slim right now. It's a trim year for us. So there's not going to be as many presents under the tree. And you be thankful for what you get. Wow. And I can't imagine. I have three kids. I can't imagine looking at my kids and saying, money's just not rolling in like it did before. We're going to go slim this year. That's not something you say. You don't and put then, that stress on the children because right. they will. For, it's not even about the presence for the kids at that point. It's, are we okay? Can we afford yep. to eat? Can we afford to live? Yeah. The parents um, think that it's going to be at just about, oh, I'm setting your expectations for Christmas. That's not where the kids are going with this. Kids are intuitive. They pick up on things. Yes. They would... So early on in our marriage, we had we had nothing and they would send us money occasionally and and they were always generous because the Bible says to be generous and they would tell us we don't have any money, but we're going to go ahead and send you some. Yeah, that's how that would play out. It's like, yeah, you helped us to afford groceries or you helped us to like make ends meet a little bit on 
on our rent. And you told me that because you're giving us this, you are going without. So everything was always martyrdom and really falling on your own sword. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about purity culture. We're talking about you coming out to your parents. Were you found out or is this something that you said, this, I am gay? No, I was found out. My parents, as a 21-year-old, my parents Mm -hmm. had a key log on my computer and were reading like my emails, which were not, for the record, I wish they were spicy emails. They were not. (laughs) It was just, it was very clear that I was like seeing someone (laughs) in the background. I got confronted and I just had this moment of emotional exhaustion. Where I was like, because my thing had always been at a certain point, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be an adult. I'm going to leave. And I can live this double life. I can Mm -hmm. do this. Yeah. And when I got confronted with that, I was so exhausted. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yep. That's exactly what you think it is. It's I was seeing somebody, blah, blah, blah. What's funny is that I was still such an innocent person. In those moments, we hadn't kissed. We hadn't done anything. Mm -hmm. It was just clear that I was seeing someone. And I had to argue with my father about whether or not I was still a virgin. Because that's the most important thing right now. Oh, yeah. It was a lot. When it came down to finally after literal days of what I'm going to just kind of call litigations, late at night, I'm still working full time. I'm in college, all of this. And finally, it came down to, are you going to actually go and do this conversion therapy or are you not? And I was like, I'm not doing it. And so they were like, my, my dad said, then I'm going to take the family out tomorrow afternoon. You've got so many hours to get your things out of the house. One thing that my father said that I will never forgive him for was he asked me, in the meantime, can I trust you here? And I said, I'm not going to steal anything if that's what you're asking me Mm -hmm. and he said no you have a little brother can i trust you with him oh my gosh and i told him i said you know what the conversation's done now i'll have my things out by a certain time tomorrow we're done with this and so he true to his word took the family out for some family outing the next day my two siblings came home and my room was cleared out they had no idea that it was going to happen and when they asked questions. My dad said, Topher doesn't want to live here with you anymore. He doesn't want to be your he doesn't want to be your big brother anymore. So he left. How did your brother and sibling feel about that? They were devastated. I helped raise them. I taught them to read. When did they discover the truth? About 10 years later. Oh, Topher. And we're very close now. We're all three of us no contact with our parents. I just actually had a, a vacation with my little brother. And it was wonderful. Like the three of us are so close now. We are each other's family. Mm -hmm. So we had a happy ending. But for a while there, it was really difficult. Yeah. Fast forward. You meet your husband. You are building this life together. How does the toxicity, I think that's a appropriate way, abusive, um, childhood and how recovering from Dobson, recovering from this very 
abusive environment. Where do you see that play out in your interactions with your spouse, in your interactions with the world? Talk to me about your coming out of that, if you will. You're coming out of evangelicalism and all of that. What is that like for you? I've had to be really aware of the toxicity, as you were saying, because I have a lot of trust issues. At the same time, I'm very susceptible to manipulation by people. So I think the first thing is therapy, therapy, like it's so necessary as Mm -hmm. growth and healing. I think that everybody should be in therapy, regardless of what your background is, because it's just it's like going and having a physical with the doctor. Like you just want to make sure that things are okay. But even more so if you've got a history of like really bad health issues. Um, I am so incredibly fortunate that I am in a relationship with somebody who doesn't have any background with this, but is such a an active listener and completely wants to understand and support who I am as a person and is so patient in those moments where I do have flare-ups of mistrust, feeling like I'm being gaslit because I'm not. I'm not. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, I have had to work on my trust so much. But surrounding myself with people who are truly amazing, I think also I'm incredibly lucky that I've met people like you where we can talk through things and you just get it. I don't have to like go through a long explanation of where my brain is going with this mm-hmm. the reason for it. So we just understand. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have a community, I think, around you that is that exvangelical, recovering, deconstructing, whatever it may be, to really understand who you are as a person and the reasons that you are what you are. Because that's something that my husband can never provide for me as as amazing as he is. Yes. We were talking yesterday, we were trying to figure out like, what are we going to talk about on this interview? What we were talking about yesterday is how I don't like it when people come up behind me because mm-hmm. that's what that's what my dad would do. And I don't like surprises like that. I feel very uncomfortable. And then we were also talking about how we read into things. My My husband might say something like, hey, have you seen have you seen the keys or I can't find this? And I will immediately go into fight or flight thinking that he's angry. He's going to yell. It's going to be my fault. I misplaced something. I'm so scatterbrained. And meanwhile, while I'm spiraling, my husband's over there. Yeah, no, I'm just wondering because I think I misplaced the keys and I can't find them anywhere. In his mind, it's like totally just like everything. Innocuous. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But here I am thinking, I'm right back to that place that I was at when I was however old that I'm going to get chastised and yelled at and grounded and horrible things are going to happen. Horrible. You go into catastrophic mode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The catastrophic anxiety. Yes. Yes. All because he can't find the keys. All he's saying is, hey, have you seen these? Or can you help me find these? Yeah. And I'm just... Or even if you did, even if you are the one who misplaced them, he doesn't give a shit about that. Exactly. He's like, I just need to find the keys right now. That's going to go. <laughs> yep. I have the same feeling if I'm running behind, if I'm late, even though 
we were late a lot. It was always okay if my parents were the ones were the cause of that. But if like we were the cause of running late, yes. I was in so much trouble. And so yes. to this day, if I, if we are supposed to go somewhere and I am still doing my hair or my makeup, I have a full, just internal meltdown. And I feel like I have to apologize to everybody that I come in contact with the rest of the day. Being late is, and it's because of the way that I was brought up. Yeah. Being late is possibly the worst thing that could ever happen to Mm -hmm. anybody ever. There are hurricanes, there are tsunamis, and then there's being late. And uh, we, I had to have that conversation with my husband early on where I was like, okay, I get that when you say the party starts at seven, you think that you can show up at 7.30, 7.45. But for me, I got ready and was done at 6.30. And I'm sitting here just, time is ticking, time is ticking, time is ticking. Mm -hmm. We've got to be out the gate at a certain time. Like it. Yep. Because my father would lose his mind if one of us made him late for something. Yeah. Yes. We had to all be ready before he was. But how do you handle? Yeah. Yeah. How do you handle other people like your friends texting and saying, I'm going to be about 10 minutes late? It's so hard. I'm not going to lie. It's something that I'm still working on because my friends are still reasonable people. (laughs) unlike me. (laughs) So for me, it's really difficult. And I just I've had to recognize that I am a product of a crazy environment. And this is just where we are right now. Yeah. I have a lot more latitude and grace for other people if they show up late that I, it's like, it doesn't really, it it doesn't bother me. If it's a consistent thing or they just don't show up at all, that's a problem. That's, I'm, I don't do well with that as anybody would, but I am so much harder on myself than I am on anybody else. And yes, it's important that we are punctual and on time as a family. It And we have three kids, so I can't have that expectation all the time. Like thing, things are going to happen and I need to learn to just roll with it. But because that was part of my upbringing, I can't just roll with it. Yeah. There are just people that just are fine. Everything's fine with them. Brandon, that's my husband. Yeah. He's just it happens when it happens kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but don't you know the world's going to end if we're not like on the dot punctual? Right. Do you not see I'm unraveling right now? <laughs> and he's good about it now. He's really good about it. He mm-hmm. understands. I feel like we've reached a good compromise where most of the compromise was on his end. Yeah. I will give him that. <laughs> so here we are. Where are we going? What is our call to action? What are you doing? Not you're, I know you're in therapy, so you're actively working to heal yourself. What are you doing to help in this cycle, this abuse cycle? When me and my siblings confronted our parents about the abuse that was happening, and by the way, John MacArthur's church is actively currently helping to cover up that abuse. So that's a really fun thing. Like your dad's abuse? Yeah. yeah. How are they, uh, what are they doing? My dad has been going to the master's university to get his yet another degree in (laughs) 
after going to their seminary already in biblical counseling. And so I reached out to the head of his department with my siblings and the help of an alumna from that particular university who had been counseling my mother and my sibling and Mm -hmm. was privy to confessions of abuse, my mother, and confessions of witnessing the physical abuse, like felony level abuse. Yeah. And the response from the head of the department was, this is hearsay. We don't accept statements from victims, all of this stuff. Yeah. Back and forth. We've saved all of the emails. I am like ready to go to the press with the amount of emails that we have back and forth. This is this is really upsetting because if it's you, like this is just one situation, but that statement alone, we don't accept statements from victims. Because it's hearsay. He told me that for as much as we say that our father did to us, he can have as many people saying that my father's a really wonderful pastor. And I was like, that's not even equivalent. No, that's not the same thing. So moving forward to answer your question, like I've been very frustrated and part of my personal therapy is speaking out because these people, John MacArthur's church, he is actively training people. And this is not an exaggeration. He's training people in how to keep abuse under wraps. That's part of the counseling training. And some things have come out about that recently, too, that we could talk about in a whole other episode. Let's do it. Because it's extensive. But abusers, they rely on their victims to remain victims and not speak out. And so for me personally, using my voice in whatever platform that I have to say, no, this is actually happening. This is more widespread than. Yeah. And hopefully that gives other people, it resonated with you. Yeah. Maybe it's resonating with other people too, where they have the courage to speak out and say, no, this something similar happened to me as well. And it creates something, but there's something empowering about being able to talk about what happened to you as well. As much as it's fun to talk about creating a movement, I think even just empowering other people to acknowledge what happened to them. Yeah. And say that and take their power back so that they can start to heal. That's what I'm the most interested in. Yep, exactly. That's why when I decided to start this, it's because of everybody's voices. It's because I was getting DMs and emails multiple times a day of victim impact statements. Which is just so tragic. And yeah, and they all link back to MacArthur's name has been mentioned. This isn't something that, oh, who's John MacArthur? No, this, he's one of them. And it's been linked back to Dobson, Gothard, the Pearls, the Ezos. MacArthur. And I just think, what if there was a platform that people could share that? That it didn't matter if they had a large platform, their own, or not a platform at all. If you're ready to share, it's therapeutic to do that. Yes. Because just putting that out there, 
and knowing one or two people might listen to this. I don't know. I'm going to be here as long as there's people that want to talk. And I don't care if I have two people that listen to this. It doesn't matter to me. I'm here. Because if those two people end up healing. Yep. Or finding a road to healing. Yes. Then. Yep. Because when you talk, when I hear what you endured, that unlocked a memory for me that I was able to take to my therapist. I was able to talk to my husband about. I was able to talk to people that I'm really close to in my life. And I was able to be liberated from something that had been locked inside for so long. And that liberation led to another layer and another layer because that's what healing is like. Yeah. When you've experienced trauma to that degree, we've experienced complex PTSD and part of healing from that is like the thaw out. I've had a lot of people message me and say they have dissociative amnesia and that's part of the healing process of hearing things that just trigger. You don't know when it's going to happen. You hear that a lot with sexual assault victims and that sort of thing that they're just walking along and they smell something or they hear something or the temperature is at just that right temperature that it it triggers that memory. And there it is. They hadn't they didn't know that, that was a part of their past. And now they have it. The people that listen to this podcast are brave. The people yeah. that are on this podcast are brave. And if they're willing to share their stories and if they're willing to heal loudly, I guarantee you they're going to help somebody else. Because these aren't bedtime stories that we're talking about. This is an entertainment. I know some people are going to think it's like very entertaining. Oh, trauma stories. But this is our life. Yeah. Somebody asked me, did you see shiny, happy people? And I remember responding to them. I did, but I also grew up in it. I had so many people ask me about that. And my response to all of them was I watched about two and a half episodes. And that was all I could handle. Yeah. Because again, this was my life. Yeah. Not exactly. Yeah, we were exactly, but right. We were just like shiny, happy people, sans pilgrim outfits and multiple children. Like I, I think my parents started going the Gothard way until Gothard made it very clear that like men are head over women. And there's no way that my mom could ever stomach not being the person that like is in complete control of everything, even though she made it look like my dad was, but no. And so with Dobson, she had a little bit more freedom. And I think that's why they went the Dobson route versus the Gothard route. MacArthur would agree with the Gothards about that. Yeah, it's. But I grew up knowing my place. So, yeah, as female. And I think it's I think it's beautiful what you're doing. And it is heroic. And it's we grew up in hell and. What you're doing is you're going back to hell to gain your freedom. Like you are going into the belly of the beast. Yeah. And laying out the abuse and being a voice for those other victims that you know are there. And that is heroic. Thank you. That's a a really kind thing to say. If you want to share, if you feel like 
you're in a space where you can share and you can lay out everything. Listen, we can talk more about MacArthur and the things that have happened because it, it mirrors so much. No spoilers, but MacArthur is actually teaching people how to be abusive and get away with it. And I have proof of that. Do you want to come back? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, this is part one. And you, everybody that's listening, apparently all the two people, according to what I just said, the two people that are listening that are not Topher's parents and not mine, this is going to be a second parter. And I strive to to do podcasts on Mondays and Fridays because the response from people, I would be, if I just dropped one a week, I would be doing these for ever and ever. I feel like I have enough people to do these twice. Part two is going to come out Friday because anytime, like I said, that we can give freedom or liberation to people, what I've come to recognize is abuse inside of the church is not just, you're not on an island. It's not siloed. Where there's one person that's willing to talk, it's an iceberg. There's many. You're not the first victim. There's many others. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vessel for the Lord. Just take it, taken down the church. So I love that. I'm a I say that for the Lord. I'm a vessel for the Lord. I fit. Okay, real quick. Favorite book. Favorite book: The Parasites by Daphne du Maurier. Oh, I haven't heard about that one. I'll have to read it. That's very good. It's from the favorite like 1950s. <laughs> favorite song currently would have mm-hmm. to be "Mine" by Kelly Clarkson from her new album that just came out. She's got an incredible voice. Oh yeah, she does. Yeah. I really like her. She did she did a cover of Garth Brooks The Danced. Uh, yeah. She can do yeah. any genre. Yeah. Oh, so true. The song that really hits me hard is Piece by Piece. She does a slower rendition of it and then she has a faster one. It's the slower one and Yeah. Oh, that hits me hard. Okay. And what do you do? to wind down usually drink a glass of wine and or gin and watch an episode of project runway i love that also you are so close to hitting a thousand followers i know i'm like three away i know ridiculous so so frustrating actually (laughs) so like everybody that's listening i'm going to put tofer's socials underneath and if you could go give him a follow and that way him and I can go live. That would be <laughs> so is, great. <laughs> we would love that. Thank you so much. And again, this is part one of two. Please come back on Friday. And we are going to hear all about John MacArthur. Thank you. Thank you, Topher. Thank you. I appreciate you so yes. much. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you are kind to yourself and to others. If you are interested in supporting this show, please click the link at the bottom to my Patreon. These shows take a lot of time and resources, and any support is appreciated. If you are interested in being a guest, please email the show at focusonyourownfamilypodcast at gmail.com. Inside of the show notes, you will find the links to mine and the guests' socials. Please give us a follow. We look forward to talking with you and connecting with you.